Hello again and welcome. As you know, for the purposes of studying the book of Jeremiah, I am impersonating Jeremiah during these talks. And I was called to be a prophet when I was 17 years old during the reign of King Josiah. And the first 18 years of my ministry were relatively uneventful, certainly no stories which I've recorded in my book. But when King Jehoiakim came to the throne, there was a, a real change in the weather as far as my experiences were concerned. Everything started to go wrong. You may remember that I went to preach in the temple and I was put on trial for my life. Then I bought a linen belt, which I left out in the weather and it was ruined and that was a prophetic sign about what was going to happen to Judah. Similarly, when I went down to the potter's workshop and saw him working some clay and it was going wrong in his hands, he had to press it down and start again. Another prophetic word for Judah. I bought a pot, a jar in the potter's workshop and went down to the valley of Ben-Hinnaman and smashed it. That was another prophetic sign of what was going to happen to the people. For my trouble, I was put in the stocks and beaten, and I began feeling extremely depressed. I didn't bottle up my feelings. I just couldn't stop crying. I even prayed for suffering to come upon my enemies. I accused God of deceiving me. God, I thought, was making me weak. I was very rude to God and... Well, I was very disappointed in God. I was moaning and I was growing, go, groaning. I was going through the dark night of the soul and I felt as if I just couldn't carry on. But I had to because the word of God was burning inside me. Then in the year 605 before Christ, there was a seismic political event. And it is alluded to in 2 Kings chapter 24, a few verses. During Jehoiakim's reign, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded the land, and Jehoiakim became his vassal for three years. But then he turned against Nebuchadnezzar and rebelled. The Lord sent Babylonian, Aramean, Moabite, and Ammonite raiders against him to destroy Judah in accordance with the word of the Lord proclaimed by his servants, the prophets. Surely these things happened to Judah according to the Lord's command, in order to remove them from his presence because of the sins of Manasseh and all he had done, including the shedding of innocent blood. For he had filled Jerusalem with innocent blood, and the Lord was not willing to forgive. The king of Egypt did not march out from his own country again, because the king of Babylon had taken all his territory from the wadi of Egypt to the river Euphrates. This momentous political event is known in history as the Battle of Carchemish, and it was a huge confrontation between the Babylonians and the Egyptians, and the Babylonians came out on top. And Jehoiakim now became a vassal or a servant of the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar took a few people into exile to punish Judah for its rebellion. And one of those hostages was Daniel, whom you'll have heard of. And some treasure was taken from the temple as well. I was about 40 years old when this first part of the exile started taking place. And the people were being exiled and the country was being defeated because of their disobedience to the Lord. The Lord was permitting this to teach them a lesson that they must be loyal to the Lord. And then I thought of a minority group within my country. Within Judah, there was a group of people, not many of them, called Rechabites. Now, the Rechabites had an ancestor called Jehonadab, and he had been a friend of the King Jehu. King Jehu was the king who got fined for driving his chariot too fast. 
And for two year, 200 years, the family of Jehonadab had followed his example and his instructions, and they still were. Now, these people were called Rechabites, and they lived in a very old-fashioned way, a bit like the Amish in America, who don't use cars or computers or any modern uh, developments. The Rechabites wouldn't accept living in towns. They wouldn't build houses, they wouldn't farm any land, they wouldn't keep vineyards, and they didn't drink any wine. They were teetotalers. They looked back on the wilderness wanderings with Moses, those 40 years, as a golden age, a time to be retained, and they wanted to bring back that form of life. So though they were living in Canaan and everybody else was living in towns and cities, the Rechabites were nomads. They refused to settle down. Let me read to you chapter 35 of my book. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord during the reign of Jehoiakim, son of Josiah, king of Judah. Go to the Rechabite family and invite them to come to one of the side rooms of the house of the Lord and give them wine to drink. So I went to get Jazaniah, son of Jeremiah, the son of Habizaniah, and his brothers and all his sisters, the whole family of the Rechabites, I brought them into the house of the Lord, into the room of the sons of Hanan, son of Igdalia, the man of God. It was next to the room of the officials, which was over that of Messiah, son of Shalom, the doorkeeper. Then I set bowls full of wine and some cups before the Rechabites and said to them, drink some wine. But they replied, we do not drink wine, because our forefather Jehonadab, son of Rechab, gave us this command. Neither you nor your descendants must ever drink wine. Also, you must never build houses, sow seed or plant vineyards. You must never have any of these things, but must always live in tents. Then you will live a long time in the land where you are nomads. We have obeyed everything our forefather, Jehonadab, son of Rechab, commanded us. Neither we nor our wives nor our sons and daughters have ever drunk wine or built houses to live in, or had vineyards, fields, or crops. We have lived in tents and have fully obeyed everything our forefather Jehonadab commanded us. But when Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, invaded this land, we said, Come, we must go to Jerusalem to escape the Babylonians and Aramean armies. So we have remained in Jerusalem. And I realised that these Rechabites had been loyal to their ancestor, For 200 years, but the people of Judah couldn't be loyal to the Lord for two minutes. After all, these Rechabites weren't farmers, they weren't building houses, they weren't drinking wine. They were keeping all these commandments. Had these commands come from God? No. Had they come from a prophet? No. Had they come from the law of Moses? No. They had merely come from an ancestor and they were still loyal to his teachings. But the people of Judah were not loyal to Yahweh, not loyal to the Lord. Now Moses had said, remember to obey all my commands. Samuel had said, to obey is better than sacrifice. But the one thing my people would not do was to obey the Lord. What was God going to do about his people who were so disobedient? And then I remembered the clay. You remember when I went down to the potter's house and he was moulding the clay and it kept going wrong and he squashed it down and started afresh. I realised that the Lord was going to do something completely new. 
And this new thing was to establish a new covenant with his people. And I'm going to read from chapter 31, verse 31 from my book. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. Just note that word husband, we'll come back to it. This is the covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. No longer will they teach their neighbour or say to one another, Know the Lord, because they will all know me, from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I'm rather pleased to know that that is the longest Old, Old Testament passage which is quoted in the New Testament. It's in Hebrews chapter 8. At my call, I was told I was going to do a little bit of building and planting. And at last, after years and years of breaking down and condemning the people, at last, I was able to teach them something positive. The Lord was going to enter into a new covenant with his people. Now, if there's a new covenant, there must have been an old covenant. What then was the old covenant? Well, the word covenant means an alliance or an agreement or a treaty, a pact, or the image that is most often used in the Old Testament and the New is the image of a marriage. Two parties come together, I will do this and you will do that, and they agree with one another in a covenant. And that happened in 1969 when a woman called Rachel was asked, will you take this man to be your awful wedded husband? And foolishly she said yes, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish, till death us do part. And then she said the longest word in the English, the English, the longest sentence in the English language, I will. It goes on for the rest of your life. A marriage where two people enter into a covenant together in agreement. They establish a pact or an alliance with one another. Now, the old covenant took place back in the book of Exodus. In chapter 19, God said, you Israel will be my treasured possession, you will be my kingdom of priests, you will be my holy nation. And the people replied, we will do everything the Lord has said. So the Lord was saying, I will make you my treasured people, a kingdom of priests, a holy nation. And the people were saying, we will do everything that the Lord says. And so the Ten Commandments came in, followed by other laws in Exodus chapter 20, 21, 22 and 23. Now if I were to ask you which is the most central or significant chapter in the Old Testament, I wonder which one you would choose. A good case can be made out for chapter 24 of the book of Exodus, because it's in that chapter that Moses established the Old Covenant. He built an altar, he had some young bulls slaughtered in sacrifice upon the altar, and he poured their blood into two bowls. With one of these bowls, he took the blood and he sprinkled the blood over the altar, demonstrating that the Lord was a party to this covenant. And the Lord was promising to make Israel his treasured possession, his kingdom of priests, and a holy nation. 
He then read to them from the Book of the Covenant, which we believe to be Exodus chapter 20, 21, 22 and 23. And when the people heard the words of the Book of the Covenant, they said, we will do everything the Lord has said, we will obey. Rather like our longest sentence, I will, we will. We will enter into this covenant with the Lord. And so Moses took the blood from the other bowl and he sprinkled the blood over the people who were gathered at the bottom of the mountain, indicating that they were a party to this covenant. And these are the words Moses used. This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. And it's because of Exodus chapter 24 that your Old Testament is called the Old Testament or the Old Covenant. Your Bible, three quarters of it, is called the Old Covenant. Yahweh and Israel are now married. The Lord has made a treaty with this people. The Lord has joined together with them in an alliance. The Lord and Israel are joined in a covenant sealed with sacrificial blood. Ring the wedding bells. God has got married. Israel is now a wife. What could possibly go wrong? Within eight chapters of chapter 24 in Exodus, Israel was worshipping a golden bullock, the golden calf. They were disobedient. They were rebellious. They were committing spiritual adultery. They were sinning against the Lord. They had said, we will do everything the Lord has said. We will obey. The reality was, we will do nothing the Lord has said. We will not obey. And the Lord brought divorce proceedings against his people. Do you remember we read this before in chapter 3 of my book? During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, Have you seen what faithless Israel has done? She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. And her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Yet I saw that her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah, says the Lord. The Lord decided to bring that covenant to a close. And when I thought about the Rechabites and how obedient they had been to their ancestor Jehonadab, I realised that Judah would never obey God unless a new covenant was entered into. The Holy Spirit revealed to me that a new covenant needed to be established. And we read about it in chapter 31 of my book. In verse 33 there, God said he would put his laws in their minds and in their hearts. Why in their minds and in their hearts? In their minds, so that they would know the will of God, and in their hearts, so that they would want to do it. God said everyone in this covenant will know the Lord, not just special people, not just kings and priests and prophets and occasional people filled with the Holy Spirit, but everyone in this covenant would personally know the Lord. And then in verse 34, everyone's sins will be forgiven. I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sin no more. Now, it, it doesn't actually say that God will forget their sins. That kind of language is a little careless. It says that God will choose not 
to remember their sins. You know that Rome is the capital of Italy. You know that water is made up of H2O. But those thoughts were deep in your semi-conscious until I brought them to your consciousness when I mentioned them to you. God chooses not to remember our sins. God chooses not to call to the top of his mind, if you like, what we have done wrong, which has offended him. Now, when Moses established that old covenant, he was the mediator of that covenant. And he used the words, this is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. Those words rang a bell with you when you heard them. You may not have known they came from Exodus chapter 24. It probably made you think of the Lord's last supper. When Jesus, as the mediator of the new covenant, said, this is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. You know how at the, Lord, the last supper, the Lord Jesus brought in the new covenant, which was going to be sealed by his blood, bringing a new group of people into covenant relationship with God, bringing a new group of people into a married relationship with the Lord. At the Last Supper and the Easter events, God got married again. The bridegroom is Jesus, the bride is the church, and the best man was John the Baptist. So who then is the church? The church is all those throughout the ages, in the world now and in heaven, who have known God through Jesus. The church is those whose sins have been forgiven, those whose sins God chooses never to remember. The church is those who are born into the family of God and they have God's laws written in their minds so that they know how God wants them to behave because Jesus has taught them in the Sermon on the Mount and God's laws are written in their hearts and therefore they want to do what Jesus commands. The church is those who want to obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Now let me come out of role now. Let me just recap where we've been today. We've talked about the Rechabites, who for 200 years had been obedient to their old-fashioned standards of living prescribed by their ancestor many years before. They were obedient. Judah had entered into a covenant with God at Sinai, sealed with sacrificial blood. The Lord and Israel had married one another, but the people were disobedient. They were adulterous. They were sinful. They did not keep their side of the covenant. And God decided that a new covenant was required. God decided to get married again and to have a new bride, the bride which is the church. And so Jesus at the Last Supper replicated what Moses had done at Sinai by setting up a covenant, a new covenant, a new covenant between the Lord and his people who believe in Jesus and accept his salvation. Now a few takeaways from this. For those of you who are married, have you found it easy? I guess not. I guess every marriage goes through dodgy patches. It's not easy to keep a marriage together. Does that speak to you in any way about your relationship with Jesus? That sometimes it is hard 
to be a Christian. Sometimes it is really challenging to live this life as Jesus asks us to do. Do you find that obedience is easy? These Old Testament people didn't. They turned away from the Lord time and time again. Do you find that being obedient to the Lord Jesus is easy? Or do you find it challenging? Were the Rechabites more obedient to their ancestor than you are to Jesus? Are the Boy Scouts more loyal to their founder, Baden-Powell, than you are to the Lord? Are communists more committed to the teachings of Karl Marx than you are to the teachings of the New Covenant? Are some Muslims more loyal and obedient to Muhammad than you are to the Lord Jesus Christ? If you're a part of the Bride of Christ, then is the law of God written on your mind and written on your heart? Are you seeking to follow the Lord and to love him and to be loyal to him and to obey him day by day. Thank you so much for watching and listening. May the Lord bless you. Amen.